Good evening, everybody. Try one more time. Good evening. There we go. A little bit better. Uh, so if you don't know me, uh, my name is AJ Gonzalez. I've been at Evergreen just shy of nine years. Some of you are like, really? I don't even recognize you. Um, that's because for the last nine years, I've been stuck down in the North End. Um, I've been, yeah, stuck, right? Uh, I have served uh, actually a couple different roles here at Evergreen. I was, uh, when I first came on, and I'm going to talk more about this later. Um, when I first came on, I was the associate student pastor under Phil Dietz. And then I came on full-time to start a college ministry while I served as associate pastor to students. And then um, Phil moved to community pastor. I became student pastor. And then when Philip Jackson came on, I gave him the young adults because there are a lot. And uh, stuck with the teenagers because they were more, uh, you know, my groove and stayed there for another five or six years. And then uh, through God's calling, he has now called me to serve as executive pastor of discipleship. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not even a week in and I'm up here teaching you guys. So I don't know what you're about to get. Uh, yeah, good luck. Strap in. Um, I'm like last Wednesday, I was in the student area. Now I'm with you guys. So Michael didn't even want to give me one Wednesday night off, but that's okay. I'm, I'm totally okay with it. Um, tonight, um, I want to talk to you guys about obedience. And uh, as, I, as I thought and prayed through this, and knowing that this is going to come right on the heels of God calling me out of student ministry, where ha- that's been the call on my life for 13 years, nine years at Evergreen and, and four years before that uh, at two other churches, making that transition from student ministry to something I've never done before, uh, there's some uh, fears there, right? And, and there's a little bit of insecurity there, uh, a little bit of being unsure of of God, is this really what you're calling me to? And um, he has been so wonderful to allow me to have people in my life that have encouraged me and built me up and um, really uh, just poured their life into me to, to help me understand um, God's direction in my life and where he's brought me to. Um, some of the strengths and talents and even education uh, that he's called me to, which uh, I didn't realize in the moment. But at the time, he was absolutely uh, pointing my, my life and my ministry to this direction of where I get to be now. Uh, and now that I'm seeing more of the big picture, I'm like, man, he is way smarter than me. Like, have you ever been there before where you're like, God, if I only knew a little bit of what you know, life would be way easier. But that's not always how he works, right? What God wants for us more than anything, is obedience to him. And that obedience starts when we surrender our lives, right? When we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, make him our Lord and Savior. That is our very first step in obedience to Jesus Christ. But beyond that, as we live this life of following Jesus, more than anything that he wants from us is he just wants our obedience because he knows what's best for us. And sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes obedience is uncomfortable. Sometimes obedience will stretch us. Sometimes it's even painful. And this year, uh, as, as Michael, our senior pastor, has led us, uh, he has shared with us that the vision that God has given him for Evergreen is the year of advance. Well, how does obedience and advancing come together? Well, first off, we've got to understand that as we advance as a church, That word advance for our context 
looks so different than a cultural context. For us to advance is not for us to physically advance as a church and grow and get bigger and more buildings and more money and more things. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking at advancing what? The gospel, right? As we advance, what it looks like for Evergreen to advance is simply to advance the gospel within the context of who he's called us to be as a church. But we can lose sight of that when we choose to not obey. So in order to advance, I would make the argument, you can't advance the way that God's calling you to without being willing to fall into obedience. And so tonight, as we unpack this passage in 1 Peter, uh, that's, that's what I want us to look at, is are we living a life of obedience? As Evergreen enters the year of advance, we must evaluate what it looks like to advance as a body of believers. We cannot answer God's call to advance and his plans for us as a church without giving him full control of our life and fully grab hold of the grace of Jesus Christ. It is through the precious blood of Christ and his grace that we find the ability to pursue holiness, to be obedient to what God has and will call us to, and advance as the people of Evergreen. So again, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, and um, I want to give you a little bit of context of, of what we're going to read here. As the author is, is encouraging uh, this body of believers, these people, I want us to understand what exactly, who, who exactly he's talking to. He's actually talking to uh, really misplaced and under-attack believers. Um, I want us real quickly, we're, we're going to stay in First Peter, but I want us to look over at chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Let me read this to you. First Peter 4, 12 and 13. I'm reading this to you because it really does bring into context uh, what, we're, what we're reading here. It says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Here's what's interesting. When the writer says fiery ordeal, that fire is somewhat literal. Because in this time, uh, Christians were under extreme attack to the point to where scholars were, will agree that Nero was doing anything and everything he could to undercut the Christian church. Uh, they warped the idea of communion, and they would call Christians cannibals. They were um, lighting fires all across Rome and then blaming it on the Christians, even though it was the government doing it, because they were doing everything they could to undercut the Christian church. When we talk about fiery ordeal, there, there are even uh, history records that, that show the kind of acts that they would do against Christians, and some of that would look like putting a Christian martyr uh, on, a, uh, on, a, on a stake and, and burning them alive in the middle of a party. And so like the, the, the light and the fire that would liven up this party was a Christian martyr being burned at the stake. So I think as we read this, we never want to take anything out of context. But as these believers are being encouraged to obey and to pursue holiness and to lean into who Jesus is and the grace that we've been given through, through Christ. Let us remember, not that, that the things we deal with aren't important and that we're not supposed to take them to God, but man, compared 
to the church who was under the persecution, even in today's culture, we got it pretty good. We've got it pretty good. And for them to obey, that was hard. When you're watching your friends go through persecution, being burned at the stake, the government, uh, you know, throwing you under the bus and intentionally doing things to make you look bad. Trust me, the government doesn't like us Christians. But again, in comparison, we got it good. So I don't want to lose sight of that, of, of the extreme, extreme persecution that the church was under. But we can still be encouraged because the truth that is being brought to these believers who are under persecution and the encouragement that they're given is the same encouragement that us as believers, and some of which will endure persecution, can also take from this. So as we unpack, we're going to be in 1 Peter 1, and, and we're just, I just want us to look at this call to holy living, verses 13 through 25. And, and so I've titled this, Obedience Through Holiness. Let's read uh, verses 13 through 16. It says this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So as we impact this a little bit and look at the encouraging words that are be given to, to this church that's under persecution, the first thing it talks about is, is to be alert, or, or, or your version might say, with your minds ready for action. But be alert. We've got to be alert because we have to understand that the enemy that we are at battle with has been doing this for a really long time. And he is extremely creative because he's been doing that longer than we've been fighting the spiritual battle. Now, the good news is we got to leg up, right? Because he who is within me is greater than he who is of the world. So we know that we've got the leg up, but also we've got to recognize that he will not play fair. He's been at this for a really long time. And so we cannot let our guard down. We cannot let our guard down. Uh, later on in this very book, 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So when we're not alert, we begin to, to drop our guard. Man, he's ready to attack. He's ready to go. Um, I, I think of uh, taking the, the, the students on a mission trip and being alert is something I tell them that they must do 24-7 when on a mission trip. Mostly because I really like my job and I don't want to lose it, right? Uh, but as we're going through the airport of a foreign country and it's, you know, me and six or seven adults and then like 20 students, I tell them, be alert. Uh, I actually have them packing real tight. Is Libby Jeffers in here? I'm pretty sure I saw her. She's right back there. Uh, Libby was with us on a mission trip one time. We were going to Latvia in Europe. And I adopted this, this phrase and everybody would make fun of me. And the phrase, Libby, what was it? Keep it tight. Keep it tight is what I would tell the group, right? So Pastor Scott Meeks was in the front taking us to the gate we were going to. I'd be in the back pulling Libby with me saying, come on, Libby, we got this. Come on, we got to keep it tight. And I tell the students, we can't go too slow. We can't go too fast. We got to stay alert, stay as a group, keep it tight. Evergreen, as a family of believers, we got to keep it tight. We got to have each other's back. 
right? We got to be consistent in godly things, being at church on Sunday, serving God's people where he's called you to serve, to disciple, to be discipled. Are you doing the things that God has called you to do so us as a body can keep it tight, so we can stay alert, not just for ourselves, but also stay alert for one another. The next thing that he talks about is to be serious, to be serious. Uh, Real quick, I want to give you one more verse uh, when it comes to being alert. Proverbs 4.23, I don't want to skip over this. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. We have to guard the things that we allow in our lives for us to remain alert. Because again, we don't want to let our guard down. I've got a five-year-old, almost five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-month-old at home. Chaos. And, uh, but one of the story or one of the songs that, that they sing at church, uh, that my, my mom sang to me that I'm now singing to my children, uh, which many of you know, is be careful little ears what you hear. Come on. Be careful little ears. Father up above is. So be careful little ears what you hear. Oh, be careful. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We know the story. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. All these things. Why? Because the Father up above is looking down with love and because we have to stay alert. We have to stay alert because when we allow those things of the world into our lives, we we let our walls down and we let uh, openings happen to where the enemy uh, uses the things around us to, to come and to attack us because he is like a prowling Uh, roaring lion prowling around looking for anyone he can devour. Okay, so the next one, be serious. It says be serious or sober-minded. Be serious, be sober-minded. What does this look like? Take serious, take serious what God has called you to. So how do I know what God's called you to? What God's called me to? Let's ask him, right? Like let's seek that out. First off, let me ask you this, when it comes to being serious or being sober-minded or being intentional, um, are you going out of your way to figure out what God has called you to do? Are you going out of your way to figure out who God has called you to be as a part of the body of Evergreen, as his son and daughter? Or are you complacent with just showing up on Wednesday nights? Showing up on Sunday mornings, check in, check out, and then go do my own thing. Complacency is the enemy of excellence. We are called to glorify God with excellence in our lives. We cannot glorify God with excellence in our lives when we get complacent. We just are okay to be okay. We have to desire more than that because God is worth more than that, right? Like God is worth more than our complacency and our comfort. God wants us to be serious, to be sober-minded, and to figure out what he's, for, for us to go out of our way, to seek the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can, can tell us what God's calling us to do. It begins with a personal quiet time. Are you having a personal time with the Lord every day? Even Jesus spent time with the Father. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He went to a solitary place where he prayed. If it was important for Jesus to get up before the rest of the house, men especially, are you getting up and going to the Father on behalf of your household and seeking God's guidance in your home as the leader of your home? 
Jesus got up, went to a solitary place. He got away from distractions. He was sober-minded because he got away from distractions and he spent time with the Father where he prayed. Mark 135. If Jesus has set that example, why are we too good to follow that example? Look, we live as kings. I get it. Like our beds are comfortable and warm in the morning. But don't have your quiet time in the bed. You go right to sleep. All right? Uh, I'd even, depending on your recliner, <laughs> to not have your quiet time in the recliner. I go and I sit uh, at the Nook is one of the places that I'll have my quiet time. Um, in the winter, sometimes I like to put on the fire and have my quiet time by the fire uh, on the recliner. But, but more times than not, I try to have it uh, in, the, in the kitchen where it's uncomfortable. Why? So I can set up, be alert, and focused on what's in front of me and spending my time with him. So as you are becoming sober-minded, you've got to be walking with the Lord every day. And listen, doing ministry and discipling, those are not things that we wait to be called to do because the moment that you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you came into agreement that you will be a disciple maker and you've come into agreement that you will buy in to his bride, the church, and find your part in the body. Because those aren't just callings for certain people. Christ has called all of us to serve as a part of the body. Christ has called all of us to disciple who make disciples who make disciples. And if we're not doing that, how can we, with a good conscience, say that we are living the fullest Christian life that God has called us to? that we are living in full obedience. I would argue we're not. I had a young man I'd been discipling for about a year, was in my car. We were driving back from one of our discipleship meetings. And I said, you know, I said, hey, I, I forgot to ask you, um, have you been praying about, you know, uh, that guy that we were talking about for you to disciple him? He goes, yeah, you know, I just, I just don't know if God's called me to discipleship. I pulled off on the side of the road. I, we're going to talk about this for a second. I said, open, I said, get your Bible out of your backpack and got it out. I said, let me show you. Scripture tells us that we are all called to make disciples. Disciple making is not something that just pastors do. Disciple making isn't something that just like radical men who go to prayer back, breakfast on Wednesday mornings do. Disciple making is something every believer should be doing. And I said, my guy, you're waiting for a call that God gave you long before you ever walked on this earth. He's already called you to it. You're going to be obedient or not? And he was like, okay, I get it, you know. And so he jumped in. He jumped in that discipleship relationship, and he's still a part of discipleship relationships today, and that was like six years ago, that conversation. So are we being sober-minded? Are we spending time with the Lord? Are we being serious about the, the walk that he's called us to? Personal quiet time, disciple-making, discipleship, service. Look, I... I uh, have stepped out of serving as student pastor and as discipleship pastor. I now spend time with uh, those who lead our ministries. And let me tell you, I'm six days in. Every ministry has an opening. All right, I can tell you that because I've talked about every single one of them in my six days of my new role. Every one of them has needs. Every one of them needs faithful people to come and to serve in their areas. If you don't know how to figure out your area of service. We've got things like 201 and 301. 
that, that will help you unpack what your spiritual gifts are and figuring out where God may call you to be. And I'm telling you right now, I've got an open door policy. Call me, text me, email me. I will help you figure out a place to serve in this body because there are needs and each of us are called to serve. So be serious about this walk and be intentional. Be intentional. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Listen, simply this, abide in Christ. How do we stay holy as he is holy? Michael just talked about this. We abide, John 15. We stay connected to the vine. And it's really hard to do that alone. It is. Now, I'm not going to claim to know how to grow trees or anything, but uh, I have learned that if a tree begins to split, that sometimes you can tie a limb to another limb to support it while it begins to get stronger. I think there's something to that. If Jesus talks about connecting to the vine, I think there's something to the science of those uh, having sometimes to depend on one another to get stronger. Are you connected to the vine? Are you allowing God, the dresser, to, to prune you appropriately to be who he's called you to be, to obey in service and disciple-making and personal quiet time? Are you being intentional to abide in Christ? Here's the next thing I want us to look like. I, I look, look at. I've called it perfect redemption, verses 17 through 21. It says this, If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in reverence, or uh, other verses say fear, other versions say fear, during the time living as strangers. For you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unbellished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So I want us to see first that it's not about our works. It's not about our works. Let's talk about verse 17. It says, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works. What, what he's talking about here is, number one, it's, it's not about... Um, comparing ourselves to the work of others. We, can't, we cannot compare ourselves to the work of others. Jesus speaks about this in a parable uh, when, when a man said, um, you know, I, I may have sinned, but at least I'm not like him. And Jesus said, what are you doing? Like, knock that off. Don't compare yourself. But what he's talking about when he's talking about works is not working our way to heaven. Like, that's the thing I had to get over to surrender my life to Jesus. Because for the longest time as a teenager growing up at the church, like, I believed in the cross of Jesus, but I never knew any different from, like, earning my, my place to heaven to understanding, like, the heaviness of the cross. And that it's only through the cross and the precious blood of Christ that I even get to be in relationship with the Father. And so when I recognize that, like, when, when the Bible talks about our works, it's not works that get us into heaven. It's obedience right? Like that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a father that, that judges impartially, right? Because he's not comparing our walk with any, anyone else's walks. And instead, he just simply wants us to obey him, right? It's, it talks about reverence or, or, or being in fear of the Lord. We just need to, to desire for obedience because who God is in our lives. There was a time, I'm, I may have been 
like seven years old. And I was at my, my father's house and um, I'd go to his house like every other weekend. And so uh, my relationship with my biological father was, was a little rocky. Um, like I, I, I always wanted to impress him. I worked really hard uh, for his approval in my life. And uh, so everything I did, like I wanted to try to do with excellence because I revered my father, right? Like there's like almost a sense of fear because uh, unlike Christ, I was afraid like one day my dad would walk out of my life because there was a history of that. And so I had just this really rocky relationship with him. But this one time I said, um, I was like, hey dad, like I want some more Kool-Aid. And he said, cool, go to the, he said, you can go to the kitchen. And in the refrigerator is the pitcher. He said, be careful when you're pouring it because it's purple Kool-Aid. And if you spill it, it could stain. And so like pressure's on, right? Okay, I got this. And so I go in there and I take my cup and I set it on the counter and I get the pitcher out and I go to pour it. And it's just barely like, like trickling down. Well, the reason it was trickled down is because it was one of those lids that you like had to turn to get it to flow. Well, I'm like seven years old. I didn't make the Kool-Aid. Like, I didn't know how this, this thing works. And so if I go like this and it barely comes out, what does my seven-year-old mind tell me to do? To do it all the way, right? You guys are catching on. Let's see if you're catching on here. What happens next? Right? And it spills everywhere. And it spills everywhere. And I was devastated. I was so devastated. Dad gave me a command. I didn't obey. I'm devastated. And I just sat there, great Kool-Aid all over me in the floor, and I just started bawling. Thankfully, my dad, although we had a rocky relationship, he was a very loving and affectionate father. Maybe it's because we're Spanish. I don't know. Uh, but, no, my dad came in, and he did not care about the Kool-Aid in that moment. He picked up his crying son. He said, it's okay. And even though I have a rocky relationship with my dad, that meant a lot to me. The good news is that our sin, once we've given our lives to Jesus, like no sin will separate us from him. That's the, that's the great thing. Like scripture tells us nothing, meaning our sin or a person or ourselves will pluck us out of the hand of God. But there should still be a reverence. There should still be that desire to make the father proud and to please him, right? Not because our works gets us into heaven, because that work it makes dad proud. Just a few Wednesdays ago, I got home from, from youth group one night, and uh, like probably many of us, uh, we, we enter our house through the garage. All the garage door people, raise your hand, okay, half the room, right? We don't use the front door. We use the garage. So, uh, so I open the garage door to like our little, what do they call it, like washroom or whatever you want to call it, mud room, whatever. I open the door. And there, my four-year-old left a picture for dad. Yeah, you're telling me. Like, I was a mess. Like, I don't know if you know this. Like, if you preach, you're usually, like, just drained afterwards. So, like, my emotions were already funky. And so coming home and, like, my little man left me a picture. And I pick it up. And on it, in his handwriting, was D-A-D-Y. Come to find out, he spelt that on his own. Y'all, he's a genius. Like, what? That's crazy. He's four. D-A-D-Y. It's not right, but it's close. Right? And so, like, that was the first time my little man, like, left me a piece of art, and he wrote Daddy on it. It just, if, and if that makes me proud and, like, makes me emotional, can you imagine what our obedience to, 
to the, the master of the universe, the creator of the universe, when we are obedient to him, can you imagine him who loves us way more than I love my son? And I cannot comprehend or fathom that because I'll tell you what, if like God the father told me to crucify my son for you, y'all are goners. Like it ain't happening. Okay, I don't have the ability because I love my son so much. But he gave his son that precious blood of Jesus for us to be in relationship to him. And so when we obey him because of the reverence, because of the fear of God that comes to us because of what Christ did on the cross. I can't imagine how proud he is of us when we do that. So the works is not about what gets us to heaven. The works is about what makes the father proud. And we should desire to make the father proud. It's not about my works and it's not about speaking of fathers. It's not about the works of the father. Um, Going into this next part, um, it says in verse 18, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your father, from, from, sorry, redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood uh, of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. So uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'd encourage you to take a look at Matthew chapter one. It's a chapter that many of us go right past. Go ahead, turn there if you have a moment. Tell me what's there. Genealogy. I'm gonna challenge you for a second, okay? Let's be real, let's be, let's be transparent. How many of you are like, I'm gonna read through the New Testament? Here we go, day one, Jesus, here we go. You open up to Matthew chapter one, you're like, we're gonna start to Matthew chapter two, here we go. How many of you skipped it? How many of us have done it? Be honest, be honest. All right, you and Jesus will deal with that later. Okay, I have, I've skipped it before, but let's understand something. That genealogy was important because in that culture and in that time, uh, a genealogy meant a lot. Like your inheritance meant a lot. Your family line meant a lot. And so as, as the writer of Matthew is, is ex- really explaining the story of Jesus and who he is and how that genealogy proves what the Old Testament said, that genealogy has so much rich meaning there. And so in the same way as being uh, God's chosen people, those inheritances that, that they got from their fathers, it meant a lot. But then Jesus. But then Jesus. So it says, you were redeemed from your empty way. You were, uh, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers. I'll tell you what. I love my bio dad. I have respect for my stepfather. Um, but I thank the Lord that I did not inherit really much from either of them because they're not men of God. They did not teach me what it looked like to uh, be a godly husband or a godly father. Um, they did not teach me what integrity looked like, what peace or patience looked like. None of those things. It's by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ that I am who I am today and only by him. So it's not about the works of our fathers. Those inheritances, those family lines, although there was a, a time and a purpose and a meaning behind those in scripture, thankfully, we are not marked by who our fathers are or, or those who came before us, but who our heavenly father is because it's by the work of the son. But with the precious blood of Christ like that, of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed 
in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your hope are in God. We can live in obedience because Jesus' obedience in the cross results in our obedience in him daily. Let's say that again. Jesus' obedience going to the cross has to result in our obedience daily. We owe him that much. We do. And so this is where, uh, this is where our hope is from. This is where our faith comes from. And the last point, pure obedience, starting in verse 22. It says, since you, have purified your, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So obedience begins with truth. Obedience begins with truth. It says, since you have been purified yourself with obedience to the truth. And I'm, I'm telling you guys that um, until you're not a part of a church like Evergreen, you, you don't really fully recognize what God is doing here and, and just how beautiful it is for us to be able to be a part of such an incredible church. Are we perfect? Nah, we're not. But we are a church that cares about truth in all things, in every ministry, in the decision-making, from the executive level down to the, the, the preschoolers. We care about truth, and we have conversations to make sure that every decision we make in this church is grounded in truth. And sometimes it takes walking away to see that. Uh, I had a meeting literally right before I came over here to, to teach this lesson of a married couple. Uh, one of the, the wife grew up here. Um, the husband got saved here and began to grow as a disciple maker, disciple maker here. And they were called, uh, he, he began to feel like he may be called to ministry because he really has a discipleship, discipleship heart and really wants to disciple men. And so uh, over the last year, God took him to one church. Uh, they were there for six months, and then God took him to another church. And God, and he, they've been there for six months. And today we meet, and they're just like, you know, did you know that, like, not a lot of churches care about truth? I'm like, yeah, it's crazy, huh? Like, that's why, like, the first church I was at was two years, and then the next church was two years, and then going on nine years at Evergreen. All right, there, there's a purpose. Man, this church cares about truth. The truth has to be our foundation. Like if the Bible says it, are we doing it? Uh, I love that our staff has kind of adopted this saying, uh, what does the Bible say about that? So like if somebody comes to ask us a question or ask for advice or ask for wisdom or whatever it may be, we've adopted this saying, what does the Bible say about that? And like to the nth degree, like during our staff meetings, like Pastor Scott will ask, like, have you been able to have any, any godly conversations or been able to point people back to truth? We are so intentional to point our people of Evergreen to truth that we unpack it on Tuesdays. How have we done that? How are we doing that on a regular basis? Not just from the pulpit. Like clearly this is the number one place where we want to give truth, but we've got to be able to be consistent in that truth, no matter what the context is uh, as leadership, right? And so we really celebrate that and take that serious. 
obedience begins with knowing what truth is. When you know what truth is, and it says, it actually says you're purified. It says you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. Obedience is met with a pure heart. Obedience is met with a pure heart. We can live with a pure heart because we have kept our hearts with all diligence. And sometimes we are sensitive to this, so sensitive to the spirit that he works in us without us even realizing it. Like that's what a pure heart looks like is that like our knee jerk reactions and our automatic, the way we respond to things automatically, uh, they, they reflect Jesus. That's the goal, right? I said I'd share a little bit more about my story. Uh, and I want to share just kind of my experience uh, as I've walked through ministry when it comes to obedience. So uh, graduating from, uh, from high school, I knew I was called to ministry. So I just thought, uh, okay, I'll just play guitar and sing because that's like the easiest job in the church. Okay, side note, it's not. So please show appreciation to, to Pastor Zach because it's absolutely not. Um, but that was my foolish thinking, right, as an 18-year-old. Um, and so I was like, okay, God, like I'm called to ministry. I'm going to be a worship leader. And so I tried to force myself into to ministry. I, I like went to some different churches and worked uh, for a few months here at a time. Like at one church, they were like, we'll give you 50 bucks a week to start a youth band. And I show up and like, I'm like, all right, you 10 kids, like how many of you play an instrument? And like one kid was like, I know how to play bass. No one really knows how to play bass. It's like one note. I'm just kidding. Um, so I had like all these kids, they want to be in a band, no musical experience. And I'm getting paid 50 bucks. And I'm only like 20 years old. I'm like, this sucks. Like, I, I'm just being honest. Like, it was not good. And uh, to the point where, like, I was in tears one day, on, like, driving to this church because I'm like, this is not fun. Like, this is not fun ministry. I wasn't being poured into. I wasn't being discipled. I had no good relationships in that church. I was a hired hand. That's all I was. That's all I was. And that was a little bit kind of the culture of this church was just have hired hands. So finally, uh, my girlfriend at the time who I ended up marrying, hey, look at me. Um, she said, hey, why don't you quit forcing yourself into ministry and just be obedient to what God has placed in front of you? Wow, right? Like, imagine that. So I was like, all right, like, that sounds about right. So I did that. I just invested myself into the ministry uh, where there was a community, began to lead worship just for college students and, and my peers, and it opened a door for me to go lead worship at a church where I ended up becoming their student pastor. So I stayed at this church as student pastor uh, for two years part-time. I left that church, got to go back to my home church where I served as student pastor for six months. And two weeks before my wife and I got married, uh, the student pastor stepped down and, the, and he, was, he was kind of a wuss because uh, he was like, hey, will you go with me to tell the pastor I'm leaving? I was like, yeah. And like, again, I was young. So I was like, sure, why not? Like, whatever. So we go in there and I'm just like this innocent bystander. And so he's like, hey, you know, God's called me and my wife away, blah, blah, blah. And they're having this whole conversation. The pastor goes, okay, you ready to go full time? So I was like, all right, cool. And so I got to go full time at this church doing youth and music. Um, and really, even though I was conducting choirs, I bet many of you did not know I did that. I conducted choirs at one point in my life, never going back. Um, <laughs> unless God tells me to. Like, I have to say that, right? You're a pastor. You can't say never. Um, so, uh, but anyway, um, so I got to, got to serve in student ministry again and, and love that. And so we stayed there uh, for, for about two years. We're at that church. And then God, out of obedience, uh, told us to leave and trust him. Um, that church began to get toxic. They had a hard time seeing me as a pastor, probably because I was a young punk kid, but also because I grew up there. And so they just kind of saw us as the teenagers we were when we grew up there. And so it just kind of became a, a hard place to serve. 
Um, and it was a hard area of town. They weren't very open to bringing in young families. And so like we had my wife and I who were in our young 20s uh, and the next youngest couple was her childhood best friend's parents. And so we did not have much of a community there. So out of obedience, we left and um, I began to work in the insurance industry. And uh, God began to open some doors there, which was pretty exciting to the point to where I was offered an insurance agency, like to have my own agency. AJ Gonzalez, Allstate, right? Like, and so uh, I was pretty excited. I was like, I'm about to make some money. And so, um, but my heart was pulling a little bit because I'm like, man, but I really feel like God has called me to ministry. So I went to my mentor and, and I'm having this conversation with him. He said, he said, you know, you don't have to be a vocational ministry to answer the call that God has in your life. I was like, you know what? That's, that's, that's so, such good wisdom. That's true. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make sure that I get my wife and I into a, a good solid church where we can have community, a place where we can serve, be a part of the body, a place that's grounded in truth. And once we settle in, then I'll go all in in my secular job. So what I did was uh, I emailed um, three churches, uh, some pastors of three different churches that I knew um, we had some friends that went there. So there was somewhat of a community for young marrieds um, and that I trusted the, the student pastor that I could work with them. One of those people I, I emailed was Pastor Phil Dietz. I met Phil four years prior when I was a college student leading worship. He came and was a guest speaker one night in that ministry and that's where we met each other. So I said, hey, Phil, can we go, uh, can we go to, or I, I emailed him and I just said like, here's my, here's my scenario. I want to come be a super volunteer. Um, does your church have a young marriage ministry? And he said, let's go to lunch. So we go to lunch and I'm unpacking all this with him again, because I'm like ready to like go all in and, and pursue this secular job. And Phil goes, well, you know, uh, our church is growing and we're about to go to like three services um, until we can expand our, our worship center. And so uh, we, we're thinking about splitting the youth group up on Sunday mornings. I'm going to need some help. And he said, I don't really have a budget to, to bring on another pastor, but I, I might be able to convince him to let me bring on an intern. Six months ago, I was a full-time pastor at a church uh, where for a time at that church, uh, the pastor's daughter had, had passed away of a chronic illness that she had for many years. And um, I was the sole pastor at the church for six months. So I'm, I'm walking away from being like the guy to being offered an intern position. Talk about being humbled, right? Like humbled. And I was like almost offended, like me, right? I'll go pray about it. <laughs> That's like the Jesus way to say no. Uh, let me pray about it and I'll let you know. Joke's on me. I prayed about it, and uh, God said, that's where I want you to go. That's where I, where I want you to be. So I was like, all right, like, I'll, I'll go intern, but I'm going to go pursue this, this job. So then I go uh, to lunch with, uh, with Phil and with Pastor Michael. And Michael says, you know, uh, you are an ordained pastor, so we want to bring you on part-time as our associate youth pastor. And I know to, to say yes to that, I couldn't pursue the secular job. I had to say no. So we prayed about it, and God just said, I'm calling you to Evergreen. Okay. So we uh, accepted it. Super thankful we did. Been here nine years. On top of that, uh, about two years in, I was here at Evergreen, still part-time under Phil, still working part-time at an insurance agency, which wasn't ideal because my heart was in ministry. I wanted to be at Evergreen full-time, but it wasn't time yet, right? Like, that's, that's not what God had called us to yet. And so I'm, I'm working both jobs. And, I'm, and I, I told Michael the story today because I was so excited to tell you guys because um, it's, it's like 
obedience to, to the nth degree that I didn't even mean to do. Um, I'm driving down Highway 169, going southbound, exiting on 91st Street, and I get a phone call from Pastor Michael. I didn't expect it. I said, hello? He said, hey, uh, there's this church. I won't name the church. He said, there's this church in town. They're looking for a full-time student pastor. Somebody gave them your name, so they contacted me to get your resume because they knew you were only part-time here. Do you want me to give them your resume? And I said, I did not miss a beat. I said, no. And he said, I'm really glad to hear that. And I got off the phone and I was like, what? Like, what just happened? Why did I say no? And like in that moment, I realized like I didn't say no. Like the Holy Spirit spoke through me, answered for me. To the points where I was like kind of uncomfortable and not okay with it. I was like, really God? Like what? Because I did not, I wanted to be in full-time ministry. I didn't want to be doing the insurance thing. But in that drive, like the Holy Spirit showed me like, you're not called to a ministry, I've called you to a people. I'm so thankful that God called me to Evergreen. Because while being here, I've got to serve as associate student pastor, college pastor, which sort of morphed into a young adult pastor. Um, Ultimately, the student pastor now, I've been blessed and I'm extremely honored and humbled to serve as one of the executive pastors to, to be a part of um, our discipleship ministries and, and to be a part of a lot of the church and, and to help uh, advance where God would call us to advance. But here's why I tell you that, not to pump myself up, but to share with you that obedience is hard. And obedience is uncomfortable, but the big picture is always worth it. Man, the big picture is always worth it because he knows better than us. And so why do we, why do we obey? Like, what's, what's the big idea behind all this, guys? It's this. It's the gospel of Jesus. None of this matters. None of my story matters if it's not grounded on me, my desire for, for the gospel of Jesus to be shared, for the gospel of Jesus to reach as many people as possible. My whole motivation, everything that I do as a pastor, and not just as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a disciple maker, as a son, everything that I do and who I am has to be censored around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this last part of our passage. It says, since you have been purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, Love for one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory, like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And here it is. Here's the the exclamation point. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So church, obedience begins with the gospel. Obedience begins with knowing where the gospel uh, is in our lives. Is it your foundation? Is it where your motivation comes from? The gospel is our foundation as we seek to serve the Lord and be who he's called us to be as a church. The gospel is what drives our motivations and our joy in everything we do. Are we doing it out of a result of the gospel alive in our lives? We must live our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Does does, does the decisions of your life, the way that you live your life, the foundations of your home, do all of those things reflect the gospel of Jesus 
Christ to the point that you're proud of that? Are we living our lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus? It has to. And if we do this, we can advance and be who God has called us to be as a church. Amen? Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I, I love you so much. And Lord, I'm overwhelmingly humbled to even have the opportunity to, to spend time with these folks tonight. Lord, to be called a pastor, a minister of the gospel, to be given the opportunity to even um, make disciples and, and to, to share with people who you are because that power uh, of who you are and the, the gospel of who you are is such a precious thing, Lord, that you would trust me with that to share with others and to put it on display in my own life is something I've got to take so serious. And God, I pray that each and every one of us does. Lord, I pray as a church, we would take that serious. That in everything we do, every event, every ministry, um, God, every aspect of our church has to reflect that that is which, uh, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that as people watch how we live our lives outside of this building, Lord, as outsiders come into this building, they can't help but say something's different. And if we cannot point to the gospel of Jesus, we've done it wrong. We cannot be different for the sake of being different. We've got to stand on truth and the truth of your gospel. God, we are nothing without you and your spirit in us. And that only happens through your obedience on the cross. And so, God, I pray tonight that we recognize that your obedience on the cross must, must must push us to be obedient in our lives in every way. We thank you for that privilege to be called sons and daughters. And so God, as we, um, as we follow your lead into this year of advance and the exciting things that are happening in the life of Evergreen, Lord, never, ever, ever, never let us boast ourselves. But God, every Sunday, every Wednesday, Tuesdays, every night that this building's open, every day this building's open and your people come together, let us always stand on the foundation of your gospel. And it's because of the truth of that gospel and the love that is poured out from that gospel and in the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ that we all pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.